Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hello and welcome to the show. It's episode 193. Uh, today is February 11th, 2021, and this is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today, as always, by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. As sometimes, not always, as, but well, it's good sometimes. to be here. <laughs> you know what? You're here most of the time. I'm, I'm going to say as always. You know what? You're always in my heart, at least. Oh, my goodness. For this show. <laughs> We're already getting sappy, and it's only, what? Two seconds into the show. All right. Yep. Uh, we do got an excellent news story for you this week, uh, and we're going to be taking a great question, if I do say so myself. Uh, we're going to be talking about steering a balloon with sound waves and how that could be the secret to touching objects in virtual reality. Um, but first, I got to know what's going on in Blake's world, because, uh, you know, we, d- we did a little banter before the show. I got to know what's going on with you. Uh, loving Streamlabs as always. I feel like it just had a major hiccup. So I'm sorry, anybody that's watching on YouTube, if you had a little bit of a dark screen for a moment. But things are overall pretty good, man. I really can't complain. It's been a it's been a long week, and I'm ready for it to kind of slowly come to an end. And stoked for like an upcoming long weekend. And I know Valentine's Day is this weekend as well, so that'll be a fun time hanging out with uh, someone that I love. So, but one thing that I've kind of come come up with in the past few months really is like for anybody that's been listening to the show and nick you probably know this i've been trying to teach myself how to play drums and it's intensely furiating or furiating infuriating uh trying to get your (laughs) all four of your limbs to do you know simultaneously different things at sometimes and then also get them to work in concert together sometimes as well uh, but one thing that I've really noticed, I think this past week, is the um, the amount of like consistent work that I put in, like put into playing drums, whether it's like rudiments or sitting on the kit or whatever. The amount of like motor function that my body's able to adapt and actually pull off is mind blowing. And so it's one of these things where I wonder if I was to be more consistent, you know, at with like trying to be more creative in my design work or in my development work, like putting more hours consistently into, you know, learning the back end, for instance, how much like change I would see. Cause like just a small kind of like 20 to 30 minutes, like throughout the day in different areas, like working on double kick stuff or stuff with my hands for the drums has, you know, really paid off. So I'm, I'm, getting ready to start experimenting with that in different areas of my like career life. So trying to do more illustration and design and asset development for the show. Um, and then also like consistently trying to push my development skills on the background. So that's, that's kind of what I'm up to right now is just experimenting in a bunch of different places and trying to figure out how do I bring that in um, to the rest of my life where I've seen success. Um, but yeah. You know what? I, I really like that point because I have had that same moment of uh, what's it, it's like a catharsis where you, everything just clicks, right? And it's it's when you're doing that coordination piece, right? And I, I I distinctly remember this. It was a long time ago when I was in high school, and like my senior project was to learn how to play a song on the piano and and develop that skill set. And um, I I just remember being so frustrated by the coordination between my left hand and my right hand. I'm like lifetime gamer, right? So like I could I could definitely uh, make 
make my left hand and my right hand work in concert when it came to a video game controller, but not when it came to something like the piano. And it's like, there's all this stuff going on. And I just remember, you know, the one day it started clicking and then it's like, wow, I'm making music with my hands. This is incredible. And then, and then, you, you know, with piano, you have the sustain uh, foot pedal as well. So you're, you, you know, you add that in and then uh, once everything clicks, man, it is just, it, I, I completely agree with you. It is just the most um, cathartic feeling. And to bring that into some of the other aspects of your life, I completely understand that too. Because there was a moment, um, you know, a couple weeks ago where I I was kind of doubting my ability. And then once we got into the thick of the thing that we're doing now, um, I just, I was like, yes, this is, I got it. Like, you know, is that whole um, being on top of everything, not letting anything fumble, and then you run into some speed bumps and and lose that confidence and <laughs> then slowly gain it back. But yeah, yeah, I, I totally it. get it. Yeah, it's a it's a funny thing, like because mo- like with music or whatever, I feel like so much of it is a long game. But the second that it works for like a moment, it's so it's finally worth it. Like all those like that time of being frustrated or like doubting yourself and i think it happens at work too where especially for me with development right like because that's that's something i am completely self-taught in um actually same with design now that i think about it but regardless like the the moment you're able to kind of like realize oh man i actually just built this entire thing and it works to some degree in the way that it's needed to for a project or like a sidekick or whatever it is so those like little moments of kind of clarity are things that i think i've relatively been pretty bad about you know cherishing or holding on to but i think that's really what can keep you growing too is like taking the moment to really enjoy the wins and yeah the speed bumps will come but enjoy the small wins because you never know when you're gonna get another one yeah yeah for sure um i i got this thing i want to talk about so i have been uh mentioning on the show for the last couple weeks that i've been getting more into investing and um it's no secret that the whole GameStop thing happened, right? And during that whole thing, what happened? <laughs> the GameStop thing. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, look, I didn't lose money on it. I'm I'm okay. Don't worry. Uh, but the 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 thing that happened during the middle of it was that Robinhood actually, you know, prevented some of its users for from purchasing shares of specific companies that were considered meme stocks, um, and this obviously upset a lot of people. And so right now I'm struggling with the sacrificing usability of the Robinhood app. Like I'm not even going to get into what I think about it, but just from a political standpoint, I don't want to use that app anymore. Um, And it's a very convenient and sexy looking app. It's very easy to, to use and to navigate and to purchase shares. It's just a swipe up and you're good. And and so I'm, I'm using other apps and, you know, nothing is quite, um, it's not quite the same. Uh, there's a couple extra steps and I'm really appreciating the usability from one step. But again, I'm kind of sacrificing that usability for my morals here. And um, it's it's been a little bit of a struggle, but it's something that I've been having to power through. And I'm just like, I've wanted to write several notes to this new company that I'm using. I won't mention them. Uh, it's not like it's a bad UI by any means, but just when you put it next to something that's so... It's obviously uh, well-designed. Yeah. It, it, yep. it just kind of... Um, it, 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 there's something left to be desired. And so I like want to just reach out to their team and be like, hey, you know, I, I think... Uh, 
this would be really nice if you did this. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, why not, right? <laughs> I mean, especially if there are like competitors out there in their space that are doing like Robinhood. I, I don't know. They're probably one of the bigger fintech companies out there. And I know they have a design focus and a yeah. pretty damn good design team that thinks about interactions and all the other design aspects that they have to. Um, and so it, it's one of those things that like I would, if I was you, I would reach out to the company because you just really never know who's on the other end of that email. Um, I had an experience, I don't know, a year ago now with Black Rifle where I suggested a few things that I saw in the UI where I was kind of hedging my bets, but I'm pretty sure they were losing money. Yeah. And like being able to just say something and see it implemented or not, it doesn't really matter. You've kind of done the your due diligence as like a human factors person trying to bring, you know, your perspective into the design of a product. Yep. Um and that's that's what I'm struggling with a little bit too here is just you know I I am still learning the app um, and I still have assets I have assets now in both of them um, and you know I will transfer from one to the other uh, soon I I just would like to be more comfortable with the one that I'm using now so I have some play money in there that I'm messing around with and trying not to lose too much by the interface itself. Um, and so once I feel comfortable with it, I'll move everything over, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm creating a list and I think I will send that email. Um, but yeah, it, it's just one of those struggles where I'm like, I, I keep finding myself going back to the old one just to check. Um, and it's, it feels icky, man. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. That's a tough one. Right. Cause I don't know. I really value a well-designed application expect. Honestly, especially in the in the music world, like my goodness, there are so many metronomes and you know click tracks and all that stuff you can get for your phone, and they are all horribly designed. There are very few that like really nail it, and even some that do from like the aesthetic design perspective. Oh my god, the interactions don't make any sense, and they're yeah. they're prone for error, and it's nuts. So yeah, like trying to go backwards from something that really works to support either like moral decisions or in the case when you don't have an alternative it's uh it's tough it's very tough anyway it will it will get there i'm okay with it uh all right well uh why don't we go ahead and get into this next part of the show Yes, this is the part of the show all about Human Factors news. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of Human Factors. This can be anything from medical, privacy, uh, security, robots. What do we got this week? Artificial intelligence, VR a little bit. Uh, as long as it relates to the field of Human Factors, it is fair game for us to sit here and talk about. Blake, what do we have up this week? So this week, we're, stare we're staring. We're steering a balloon with sound waves that could be the secret to touching objects in virtual reality. So what makes virtual reality so compelling? Its ability to transport a user into any experience is also what makes it so fascinating is the synchronized physical interactions in the real world that feel so complicated when you try to bring them to a virtual medium. So a system not only needs to be able to match the movements of a VR user's hands, it also needs to be able to quickly move and position itself in any other way to never obstruct or interfere or cause injury while somebody's in a new experience. Researchers at the University of Tokyo Shinoa and Makino Lab have developed a simpler solution built around a free-floating, neutrally buoyant helium balloon. So in a paper they published in December, the balloon called the balloon's interface of midair haptic interaction, the researchers actually detailed an elaborate 360-degree rig that uses a series of ultrasonic 
phased array transducers to generate inaudible sound waves with enough force to push a floating balloon around and precisely control its motions. The setup is also also includes a pair of high-speed stereo imaging cameras to track the position of both the balloon and the position of someone who's trying to interact with it. The resulting experience is a physical object that a user in virtual space can touch and feel when they're trying to reach out and interact with a virtual object in VR. And I'm presumably thinking this gives them some sort of re- realistic feeling in terms of the haptic feedback they're getting from moving something. So yeah, that's this a good is question. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's kind of the next step or where it goes. So th- this is kind of untimely because I meant to I should have talked about this in banter, but I've seen a bunch of YouTube ads recently for basically the standing in place treadmills for VR being like commercially available to just everyday buyers. So this sounds like a, a complete add-on to something like that, which would make the experience much more from a tactile perspective immersive. Yeah, well, first off uh, I hate to be the well actually guy, but um, I do want to. It's a it's a fun piece of knowledge that I want to share with everyone. The, well, actually, the omnidirectional treadmills that you mentioned, um, they have a name that's not omnidirectional treadmill. It's called perambulator. And a perambulator. I, I, I love that term. So it's an amazing uh, name. Yeah, maybe you've learned something today, maybe not. I uh, anyway, perambulator. I love that term. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I think um, I I don't know. I I struggle with with seeing how this can be compacted into a certain space. I see this more of like a research application, uh, especially because um, if you look at the device that's actually powering this, it's it's rather large. Um, and the way they're doing this is is really interesting. So they're using a helium balloon, and right now it's just a spherical balloon that you know we 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 know it's it's a regular balloon. It's just filled with helium, um, and it's like a ball. It's not like you know the balloon shape, if you will. Uh, and there's uh, I guess it's a series of I would. I want to say it's like six or hang on one two three four five six seven eight nine ten. So there's ten of these um, airborne ultrasonic or ultrasound phased arrays um, that are uh, spitting out these sound waves, and these sound waves connect with this uh, this balloon. And uh, it can direct it in any direction. And the way it does that is it has some high-speed stereo cameras that monitor the position of the balloon and then can communicate with these airborne ultrasound phased array. Um, this, I guess it is an array, so it's not multiple. But anyway, the, the, it communicates with this array and it, it coordinates which of these 10 um, individual ultrasound uh, speakers, I guess, need to send out a signal to move this balloon in one direction or the other, right? So that's kind of my um, long-winded way of kind of describing how this thing works. Um, and you know, right now, in 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 this in this specific example, this University of Tokyo, uh, these University of Tokyo researchers, um, they have basically created something that works in a small scale. I don't know if this would work if you were to um, spread out this array into the space of a room and to be able to control multiple balloon objects, right? So, like, imagine you have a balloon that's in the shape of, like, a brick. So, if you went to go put your hand on something, it would be there. Now, I'd imagine, you know, these these, um, 
ultrasound phase unit speakers, whatever they are, I'd imagine they don't have enough power to, um, like, if you were to put your hand on it, to push back and make it feel tactile. I think this is more like, like, let's say you need to tap a button in VR and to give you some sort of haptic feedback, you press yeah. the button, right? That's that's one way uh, you could do it. So I don't know, man. Like, like, what are your thoughts on this? I wonder if you could scale it down because, I mean, ultimately, you're you're definitely right. This is totally meant to be a research project and kind of experimenting in different ways for how you can provide, you know, movement of objects. Like, let's say you pushed something so you could actually, I guess, see the analog in VR and, and get some sort of feeling. Um, but at the same time, you're right. I think they're they're pushing so little sound in terms of the force that it's emitting, even though it's inaudible, that... If they tried to, you know, combine multiple of these in a smaller scale space, you may end up just having a bunch of interference and you're just going to lose the balloons potentially. Um, but what I'm really interested in is how this kind of caches out in the virtual virtual reality experience. Because I the, the like technical aspects of how it's kind of put together outside makes a lot of sense. But I the one thing I'm not quite sure about is really is this just providing more of a visual experience for the movement and motion of objects or is there potentially also kind of a, a touch component that's not yet showcased here or will be because I would imagine if you touch this you're going to feel like it's a balloon or you're going to feel like it's something that's not necessarily maybe what you're seeing depending on the fidelity of the VR I would guess um, but I don't know this is a pretty intense machine they put together here it looks something very futuristic so there's a couple things going on here. I want to mention your point about um, the in-VR application, right? So I, I said it could be used as something as simple as, like, uh, you have, like, a UI in VR that you need to interact with. Um, and one of the one of the challenges with a VR and a UI interface, right? Like, let's let's give the classic example of the virtual watch. You, you pull up on your watch, and there's a virtual display that's in front of your face. Um, you can interact with it by touching it. However, uh, you get no haptic feedback. So I can imagine them putting the balloon right in front of your finger. As you push your finger on a button, it is placed right in the way that makes it so that way that haptic feedback feels like you're pressing a button. That's one application. Another one, um, you can actually imagine, like let's say there's a spherical ball floating in front of you that happens to have the same squishy properties as a balloon. If you reach out and touch it, it would be pretty convincing as long as it was mapped to uh, where it is in VR. Um, and so that's another application. And that's why I was kind of alluding to potentially different shaped balloons. If you, if you have, uh, you know, it only works with squishy things. I, I don't know how you would have like a solid balloon yeah. unless you have some sort of rigid lightweight material that does not react to squeezing in the same way a balloon does. Right. Like, that's the only way that I can imagine this working for hard objects that you would interact with in VR. Um, and so that's the second application. The third application that I think uh, is it's not even mentioned in this um, article, but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, down the line here. What if you had a QR code uh, or, or some sort of visual mapping element on this balloon that then... Um, provided some sort of physical representation of an augmented reality object. So if you are uh, in like a, a space, right, and, and you have this array um, shooting their uh, ultrasound waves at this, at this balloon, if you have tracking 
um, QR codes or tracking, uh, visual tracking on it, your augmented reality headset would pick that up and then that movement would be less jittery because you know you could you could track it. It's a real object in the environment that's moving, and um, you know there there'd be different markers throughout the room that would anchor it. And so that could be a cool effect too, because then you could reach out and actually touch that object, right? Like think about uh, oh, my brain here is thinking about the uh, the training remote from Star Wars, right? It's a hard object, but if you'd imagine like you could reach out and touch that thing as it's going around and shooting imaginary lasers at you with your lightsaber in augmented reality that could be really cool yeah absolutely and i think uh, one point that the research paper does really make is the withstanding the fact that basically touching this thing it's gonna feel not quite right um if especially if it's a hard object and it might not correlate with whatever you're seeing but what's important here is kind of that oh i just felt something in vr um, and i did actually end up touching it and even though maybe it's not a one-to-one mapping of what I would expect it to feel like, it's just a little bit extra in terms of immersion, and you're really starting to get that feel for what's going on. They also make a really good point later in the article about the safety aspect of it. So right now, there's kind of a there's potential that you could have you know other kind of machinery in the room, or like we talked about, I'm going to say it wrong, the moving treadmill that's not a moving not an omnidirectional treadmill. Um, there we are. Uh, Something like that, where it's like a serious piece of hardware. Well, if you make a mistake and you fall, like you could really hurt yourself. Whereas something like this, where we're able to kind of create controlled experiences, maybe with you know these various floating objects in the room that you can either touch, freely bump into, and not really have any physical Im- impact. Um, it's just a, a, a way to, I think, start expanding what VR is ultimately going to be able to achieve in different terms of like touching and feeling different things. Yeah, I and I think you you kind of um, hit on something here. I, I do want to mention there's there's other ways of of um, sort of touching objects in VR, right? There there's the spider arm that you have that you can um, that that will basically pull back on your fingers to make you feel like you're touching something physically there, um, and then there's you know, there's other ways of doing it too, where you actually have a physical object mapped to a physical or to a virtual object. And there, there's that communication as well. I think this one is, is interesting because you can have a movable object as long as the texture matches that, right? So there's, there's different ways of interacting with it. And as long as it sort of maps to that feeling, then uh, it, it could work. Um, any other thoughts on this uh this device this technology i just think it's it's very interesting i love the the research backside of it it's just because it's like a a way to experiment and try and gather and get together ways that we can start making vr you know either more fun to interact in and more believable on the inside um and although this is this is definitely still a very researchy style project, it's cool to see because it's it's one of those things that I think haptics and the tactile interaction inside of VR is going to be what's going to truly kind of create an experience. Um, but yeah, so it's just a it's a cool little taste of what can be done with VR and balloons and sound. So it's just kind of a nerd's nerd's dream for sure. But what about you, Nick? Any kind of closing thoughts for this one? No, I always like to see some of these uh, these new techniques used in virtual reality. Uh, anyone who's listening to the show for a long time knows that I'm a huge VR buff, and 
this this technology I can always geek out about. So that's why I'm uh, I'm so excited about it. All right, well, um, we'll we'll go ahead and. Uh, Keep moving here. I just want to thank our patrons this week. Uh, we we have been doing this uh, this new patrons choose the news thing, where our patrons on Patreon will uh, choose the news story for us to talk about. And thank you over to our friends over at Gizmodo for our news stories this week. If you want to follow along, we do post the links to the original articles in our Slack as we find them or as you find them. So join us over there for more discussion. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in human factors chatter every week we pack news interviews reviews and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on but we can't do it without you you see the human factors cast network is 100 listener supported all the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners that's why we're giving back to our supporters on patreon now more than ever Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is human factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. All right, and we're back. Uh, so, Patreon, let's talk about this for a little bit. Blake, you know what Patreon is? <laughs> I do! It's this thing that you do where you can help shows like this out by uh, getting cool things from us. Yeah, so we have the commercial. You just heard it. Uh, we have a couple other things going for us um, that you might not be aware of. So, like I said, patrons are now choosing the news. So, if you want a say in what's on the show, feel free, jump over there. Help us out. We always uh, post a, every Monday. We post a thing on there. You can choose what we're doing. We're always updating with new rewards. We got a fresh, uh, you know, patrons are getting something almost every day over there. So that's that's kind of fun, too. Um, if you're able to, it'd be tremendously helpful. We're trying to branch out more and more, um, you know, and, and the Patreon contributions help us uh, do things like stream on multiple platforms or host a website or uh, host the web the episodes you know that that that's uh, money that we use out of our own pockets so uh, anything you can do to help really helps us out um, and if you can't that's okay too just enjoy the show we want to put it out for everyone all right well why don't we go ahead and switch gears and get to this next part of the show it came from, it came from... It came from... This is the part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you the topics the community is talking about. Um, our patrons also, by the way, get a front of the line to this. Uh, no Patreon questions this week. But this one uh, comes from an anonymous tipper. Blake, I'm going to read this to you. Um, this is, how do you deal with a hostile, combative, or uncooperative user during usability studies? Um says, hi guys, recently ran a usability study with a participant who was combative about the types of information we were collecting. Obviously, things are different and difficult in the time of COVID, but we were accused of using the recordings for the usability study for personal gain rather than just the purposes of the study, even though they wouldn't even let us get through the consent form. How do you deal with these types of participants? Blake, have you ever dealt with a combative uh participant or or hostile or uncooperative yes for sure uh 
in this, I don't know. So I'm going to say something that's probably unpopular here. Okay. Um, and that's just, it's going to be an is what it is type situation. This I'm going to butcher where I took this from. I've taken this like this idea from listening to too much Tim Ferriss over the years. But basically, like at the end of the day, you only have so many mental resources to give, whether it's your job, business aspects, whatever. And you want to be working with customers that make your life in some ways simple. So if you're running into in issues like this, where it's like it's an issue just to record even, or you, you can't even get through the consent form, then maybe it's maybe if you especially if you have other participants lined up, maybe you don't need to go through it with this particular person. Maybe their feedback is not going to be as valuable as somebody else who you can try and fill their spot with. So I don't know. I mean, there, there's two ways that I could see handling it. Trying your best to just, you know, be that human factors or user experience professional and just try and get through the situation. Whether you want to, if you want to offer them to do the study without recording it, cool. If you still think that's valuable, awesome. Go that route. Or you just, you cut them loose and you let them go about their day. Cause like, okay, you, if you can't meet these criteria that we need to do our job, then this just is not going to work out. That's kind of the route that I would take there. Um, that's a that's a really short answer, but that's just the way I look at that stuff. Life's a little too short to be worried about like this person. We're gonna lose this person. What do we do? I don't think you have to worry too much. There's probably other people you can talk to. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree, and that's exactly what I did. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that okay. That that's totally valid. <laughs> that's what I would have done. Oh man. <laughs> So here's the thing. I, I had a usability study earlier this week, and it was just the um, it, it was a very uh, interesting experience because I've never had something like this happen where just there was a lot of um, uh, a lack of trust, even though like so I, I jump into this thing and, and, you know, I'm trying to explain what it is. And they just won't let me get through the consent form. And, you know, the consent form obviously has all the information that they would need to make an informed decision, but we couldn't even get to that point. Um, and then they started saying, well, I have feedback and I, well, can we record? No. Uh, so it's like this, this big thing. Um, and, you know, it, it's just it's one of those situations where um, it, it was very difficult to manage in the moment because you know you you have this set schema of how things are supposed to go and um you know as you are going through this exercise you want to make sure that you are um both accommodating to them too right that they're they're offering you their time and ultimately that's what happened right like they're offering us their time to participate in the study and we want to respect that and there's the only thing you can do is be humble and say, look, if they don't want to participate, you, they don't have to. Um, but like the, yeah. the the thing is, we didn't even get to that part of the consent form that says, hey, you don't have to participate in this thing that if you don't want to. It was just it was like a, a hostile interaction from the get go. Oh, and goodness. It, was, it was trying to play damage control, just trying to get back to the consent form to like make sure I hit all the points. Um, and so, yes, I, I, I think absolutely in those situations, you just say, hey, look, like, really appreciate your time. Um, if you don't feel comfortable, then uh, feel free to just send us your feedback through another mechanism, email or something yeah. like that. Um, but I know I'm not alone on this. I know others have have experienced this as well. And, uh, you know, I thought it was it was a good lesson. I almost brought this up for banter, but thought it was too good and thought it fit more appropriately in this section. 
Um, because like I said, I've not had something like this happen before. Um, you know, and, and, uh, so anyway, yeah, that's that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so that's a really tough situation too, because I've been in the, I've been in the midst of a design, like going through a new product. That's not completely, it's not done. It's, it's so early and it, but it's like one of those things that it's almost make or break. Right. And because we, I can't really talk about what it was for, but we were dealing with like a population of people that don't necessarily use a lot of technology. So like the fact that it wasn't seamless really, really hurt us. And so we got some very volatile interactions like while doing the usability set testing stuff, like where the frustration was like so escalated that it's like, Oh man, what do we even do here? So it's, it's beyond like it's beyond anything we can control because it's like you, you as a human factors person, you're trained to let people get frustrated to a point and then you have to kind of mediate from there. And it was one of those situations where I had the first time ever had been thrown in the deep end of figuring that out. Um, but your case is completely really, I don't, I, I don't even know what I would do in that situation besides like offer them like you, like it sounds like you did like alternative means to provide feedback. But ultimately if you won't like, if you if we can't even get through the consent form, I can't imagine the the rest of the test is going to go that great, or it's going to be an easy road for either party. Yeah, and it was one of those things where it's like you know, hey, uh, I'm just going to read through this verbatim, so that way I just don't make make sure I don't miss anything. And I read like the first part of it, and they were like, "Are you done yet?" Because I have I have stuff that I'd like to say. Are you done talking? You know, this is very um, wow already. I was like. No, I still got a whole consent form to go through. But if you have questions, let's talk about it. And, and then you know, it's like, well, here's my feedback. And I was like, oh, please wait. Can can we just get through a little bit more of this thing? It was really tough to to manage. And um, you know, I just I offer my strength to anyone who goes through something like that. Uh, it, it was tough. And and again, like it's it's one of those situations where um, no data is worth upsetting or antagonizing another human being for. Um, and I didn't, right? Like, it felt hostile to me because I was trying to conduct this thing and I've ran several other ones that went off without any issues. Um, and, and to just get hit with this thing right off the bat, it felt like uh, it felt like an attack on me. Uh, but, like, <laughs> but realistically, like, you know, I, I understand where they were coming from, right? They had privacy and security concerns. And, um, you know, I obviously didn't want to push... Uh, for anything that they were uncomfortable with. So I was very accommodating. I wanted to make sure that they were, um, you know, they were aware of what uh, the, what they were in for. And uh, we just couldn't even get to that point. So I said, you know, hey, like, you know, you can withdraw at any time if you don't feel comfortable with it. We don't have to do it. Um, and then they just hung up. So that's that's how that one <laughs> went. <laughs> Yikes. I mean, so the the other thing you can or I don't know, to kind of expand on this, right? Like it is important to kind of self audit, right? So let's say that, cause this wouldn't happen. I don't think necessarily to most people, but it might, if you're like fresh in your career and you really haven't done many usability tests, maybe you're like, you're working remotely for a company. You're the only human factors or user experience person, and you're going to put together a usability test. And if you notice that issues like this are coming up, you may need to audit like how you're presenting yourself or what's in the consent form or the, like the onboarding process. Um, so like it is good to kind of 
for like using a comedic term, I guess, like read the room that you're in and kind of do some self analysis from, you know, bad experiences for sure. But at the end of the day, that just sounds like it was just an an intense individual and it It, was just not going to work out regardless. And I mean, be humble, right? Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't dead set on getting that data from them. I, I was like, you know, again, like I was playing the role of facilitator. I was, trying to get information out of them and that they were uncomfortable doing it and that's fine um just make sure that it's clear that you know there's there's no harm no foul if they bow out and you should always like allow participants to do that um you know they are volunteering their time even if they are getting compensated for it in some way they are volunteering their time to assist you in something that you need feedback on and so um you know it, it is their show and and if they don't want to do it, if they don't want to be the star of that show, then you don't let them, you, you know, they don't have to be the star of that show. Um, it's just one of those things. Yeah. All right. I think we're going to go ahead and get out of here. We're going to call it a little early, um, you know, and if uh, if you want, I just have one more programming note for everyone that I forgot to mention at the top of the show. Blake kind of alluded to it, but we are back on YouTube now. Um, so with that, I'll give us the outro. All right. Well, that's going to be it for every, for it today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the story this week. Uh, if you want, you can join us discussion on Slack. Follow us on any of our social channels at H Factors Podcast, including YouTube. Check us out there. We are streaming every week around 4.30 Pacific. Uh, you can always email us, show at humanfactorscast.com. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice. Uh, you can let a friend know about the show. Or you can consider supporting us on Patreon. That really helps us uh, on the back end. And, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Blake Garnstorff for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about how to set up Streamlabs? Oh, gosh. If you want to talk about how to set up Streamlabs, you guys can always find me in the Human Factors Cast Slack or across social media at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it it depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.